إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا وسيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد Today then we begin the new chapter Bab Allah Ta'ala Innaka la tahdi man ahbabt Somebody want to read? Bismillahirrahmanirrahim Bab Allah Ta'ala إنك لا تهدي من أحببت ولكن الله يهدي من يشاء في الصحيح عن ابن مصيد عن أبيه قال لما حضرت أبا طالب الوفاء جاءه رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم وعنده عبد الله بن أبي أمية وأبو جهل فقال له يا عم قل لا إله إلا الله كلمة أهاج لك بها عند الله فقال له أترغب عن ملة عبد المطلب فعاد عليه رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم فعاد فكان آخر ما قال هو ألا ملة عبد المطلب وأبا أن يقول لا إله إلا الله فقال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم لا استغفرن لك ما لم أنه عنك فأنزل الله عز وجل ما كان للنبي والذين آمنوا أن يستغفروا للمشركين ولو كانوا أولي قربه وأنزل الله في أبي طالب إنك لا تهدي من أحببت ولكن الله يهدي من يشاء. So this chapter now then. It begins with the ayah, إِنَّكَ لَا تَهْدِي مَنْ أَحْبَبْتِ That you cannot guide whom you love. And that ayah, it is an address to the Prophet ﷺ that even the Prophet ﷺ does not control guidance. And Allah mentions here, you cannot guide whom you love, the inner guidance of the heart that only comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the purpose of this chapter, as you will see, is to highlight the impermissibility of calling upon the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and by extension, therefore, anyone else besides the Prophet And that is because if the Messenger does not control the guidance of mankind, the Prophet gives da'wah, but he does not control the guidance of the hearts. Maybe one person accepts, maybe another does not. And that is because, as you're aware, guidance is of different types. 
And what are those types of guidance? One is the Hidayah is of different types, guidance is of different types, two main categories, and there are more when you go into more detail, but two main categories of guidance that the scholars will often mention, there is the guidance of Ad-Dalala wal-Irshad, one is the guidance of Ad-Dalala wal-Irshad, the guidance whereby you clarify to the people between truth and falsehood, you clarify to the people between Sunnah and Bid'ah, you clarify to the people the correct methodology of Islam from the misguided methodologies, clarify between Tawheed and Shirk, that clarification you give to the people, that da'wah that you give to the people, that is the guidance of Ad-Dilalah wal-Irshad, that you are directing people to the correct path. You are giving da'wah to people to the correct path, clarifying to them what Tawheed is, and warning them against shirk, clarifying to them what sunnah is, and warning them against bid'ah. That clarification that you give to the people, and that guidance to the truth you give to the people is the ad-dilala wal-irshad. You are directing people to the truth. That is what all of the Prophets and messengers did. All of the prophets and messengers did that. They guided and directed the people to the truth and they warned them against the evil and misguidance. And beyond the prophets and messengers, you and I, all of us, we can engage in that. For the one who has the ability and knowledge then you can all engage in the act of directing a person to the truth, guiding a person to the haq, to the sunnah, to tawheed, and warning them against the evil and the misguidances and innovations. All of us can do that. And the prophets and messengers, they did that. But doing that, does it necessitate that the people whom you give that guidance to will accept it for sure? Not necessarily. You may direct the people and you may guide the people to the straight path, but will they then go and tread upon that straight path that you have showed them? Not necessarily. Because there is a second type of guidance the inner guidance, the hidayah, often referred to as at-tawfiq, hidayah at-tawfiq, the inner guidance, the inner enlightenment for your heart to be guided, that's not in your control. And that is not in the control of the prophets and messengers. They cannot 
control the hearts of whom they call. They call them, they direct them, they guide them, they show them as-sirat al-mustaqeem. But will those people be guided in their hearts then? Will their hearts be opened up to that truth so that they accept it? Not necessarily. Maybe some are, maybe some are not. Who controls that inner guidance of a person, the inner enlightenment of a person? That level of guidance is not under the control of the prophets and messengers, not even the prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. That level of guidance is only from Allah. So here in this chapter, Al-Shaykh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab rahimahullahu ta'ala is going to clarify further reasons as to why it is impermissible for anyone to call upon others besides Allah. Why it is impermissible to call upon the dead or the so-called awliya or to call upon the prophets or to even call upon the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. The Shaykh is going to clarify the prophets and messengers including the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Do not have control of these affairs. Do not have control of guidance of the hearts of the people. These are matters under the control of Allah alone. And so the only one deserving of worship is Allah. As Shaykh Al-Fawzan, he says, غَرَضُ الْمُصَنِّفِ رَحِمَهُ اللَّهِ مِنْ عَقْدِ هَذَا الْبَابِ That the intent or the objective of Shaykh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab in putting this chapter together is الرد على الذين غلوا في النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم. It is a refutation upon those who exaggerated in the right of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. It is to clarify that exaggeration in regards to the rights of the messenger is incorrect for a person to fall into. Extremism and excessiveness in regards to the rights of the messenger is incorrect for a person to fall into because when the people fall into that exaggeration and give rights to the messenger that are beyond what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala prescribed, then they begin calling upon the messenger and they begin having all types of false beliefs uh, and therefore leads them into forms of shirk. So this chapter refutes those who fall into exaggeration with regards to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, as you'll see. وعلى المشركين الذين يتعلقون بالأولياء والصالحين يدعونهم من دون الله ويستغيثون بهم and also generally a rebuke, a refutation upon the mushrikun who have their connection 
to the awliya and they depend upon them and rely upon them and they call upon them besides Allah, then this chapter once again will be a refutation of their likes. So if we look at the evidences in the chapter, it will become clear and the explanation will become clear. The first ayah, or in fact the first hadith mentioned then, after the ayah as the chapter title, وَفِي الصَّحِيحِ عَنْ ابْنِ الْمُصَيِّبِ عَنْ أَبِيهِ قَالِ لَمَّا حَضَرَتْ أَبَا طَالِبِ الْوَفَادِ جاءه رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم وعنده عبد الله ابن أبي أمية وأبو جهل فقال له يا عم قل لا إله إلا الله كلمة نحاج لك بها عند الله فقال له أترغب عن ملة عبد المطلب فأعاد عليه النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم فأعاد فكان آخر ما قال هو على ملة عبد المطلب وأبى أن يقول لا إله إلا الله فقال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم لأستغفرن لك ما لم أنه عنك فأنزل الله عز وجل ما كان للنبي والذين آمنوا أن يستغفروا للمشركين وأنزل الله في أبي طالب إنك لا تهدي من أحببت ولكن الله يهدي من يشاء In this opening section in this hadith which is in Al-Bukhari and Muslim from Ibn al-Musayyib Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib ibn Hazan ibn Abi Wahab al-Mahzumi, one of the senior tabi'een. He was one of the senior tabi'een, well-known Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib. وَكَانَ لَهُ مَنْزِلَهُ فِي الْعِلْمِ عَظِيمَةِ And he, Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib, had a great station and rank and level in terms of knowledge. فَهُوَ مِنْ أَكَابِرِ عُلَمَاءِ التَّابِعِينَ He is considered as one of the senior scholars of the tabi'een. And is it possible that the tabi'een or the senior scholars of the tabi'een that any of them could be more knowledgeable than the companions? You said yes? You said yes. Tabi'een, who are the Tabi'een? The Sahaba, radiallahu anhum, they were the ones with the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam at his time. And they met him. After the messenger died, the next generation are considered as the tabi'een, the students of the companions basically. 
the tabi'een, they never met the Prophet They never met him. They are from the students of the companions. So can the students of the companions be more knowledgeable than the companions? The answer is not an open yes, but it's more of a restricted yes. There is a possibility, it is possible, and it exists, that some of the senior scholars of the Tabi'een in certain areas of knowledge, etc., may have been more knowledgeable than some of the companions. Remember, with the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, it's not just Abu Bakr and Umar and Uthman and Ali and Ibn Abbas and Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, famous companions, scholars. There were many other companions, some of whom were only with the Messenger for maybe a very short period of time. And they were not at the levels of the senior well-known companions. When we say companions, it is not just the level of Abu Bakr and Umar radiallahu anhum. There are other companions, lower levels, but all of them have that one virtue of companionship. And that one virtue of companionship makes them more senior than even the most knowledgeable tabi'i in terms of virtue. In terms of virtue, even the lowest level from all of the levels of the companions, and they are of different levels, even at the lowest level of the companions, they are still superior to the highest level of the tabi'een due to that one virtue of having companionship. But that does not mean that some of those high level tabi'een may not be more knowledgeable in certain areas of ilm than some of the companions. That's possible. That is possible. But when we say that's possible, the key to remember is we are not saying therefore any of the tabi'een are superior to the companions as a whole. As a whole, even the lowest level of the companions are superior to the highest level of the tabi'een. But in regards to the restricted aspect of knowledge and uh, understanding, in that regard, some of the high scholars of the tabi'een may have gathered more knowledge than some of the companions. So Saeed bin Musayyib is recognized as one of the senior scholars of the tabi'een. وَهُوَ أَحَدُ الْفُقَهَاءَ السَّبْعَةَ الَّذِينَ انْتَهَتْ إِلَيْهِمُ الْفَتْوَىٰ and he was known as one of the seven fuqaha, one of the great scholars of that time, whom the fatwa would be sought from. Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib ibn Hazan. Sa'id is the Tabi'i, from the senior scholars of the Tabi'i. His father al-Musayyib was a companion, and his father, so the grandfather of Sa'id, of the Sa'id, he was also 
a companion. So Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib, famous tabi'i from the great scholars, his father and his grandfather were both companions of the Prophet So this narration, he actually narrates it from his own father. Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib narrates it an abihi or an ibn al-Musayyib an abihi. So it is from Sa'id, from his father. So Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib narrates from his father al-Musayyib that when death came to Abu Talib, Abu Talib, the uncle of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when death came to him, to Abu Talib, and the meaning of the narration is, meaning when Abu Talib, as we say in English, was on his deathbed. He was about to die. He was in his final moments. So when he was in his final moments, he was on his deathbed, as we say, then it's mentioned in the narration how the Prophet ﷺ went to him. And there were some others there when he got there. So Abu Talib, the uncle of the messenger, when he was on his deathbed, the messenger went to him to try and give him da'wah, to try and still call him to tawheed. And we know that Abu Talib, during his lifetime, had aided and supported the Prophet ﷺ to the extent that Abu Talib himself, even though he was a kafir mushrik, yet because of his defense of the messenger, he was persecuted and punished by the other Mushrikun, even though he was a Mushrik. He wasn't Muslim, he was Mushrik. But despite that, his own people persecuted him and they uh, uh, targeted him because of his defense of the Prophet ﷺ, his nephew. <coughs> so in, in, uh, as a biography, it's mentioned kafala ar-rasula sallallahu that after the parents of the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam passed away then it was his grandfather who looked after him abdul muttalib for a couple of years and then when he passed away it was the uncle abu talib who then looked after the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam قبل نعم وبقي أبو طالب حول الرسول صلى الله عليه وسلم قبل البعثة وبعد البعثة. And so Abu Talib was with the Prophet from before the Prophet became a Prophet. He was with him and raising him when the Prophet was only eight years old. From that age onwards, from that age onwards, from the young age, Abu Talib was who had with him the Prophet Muhammad and all the way up until the age of uh, uh, Muhammad وسلم, becoming the age of 
40 when the prophethood began. All of those years Abu Talib was with him. And after the prophethood occurred, Abu Talib was with him and defending him. All the way up until the eighth year after the prophethood, which is approximately then when he died. So that means the Prophet was approximately how old when his uncle Abu Talib died? 48 thereabouts. And Abu Talib began looking after the Prophet when the Prophet was only a child at the age of eight or so. So how many years was Abu Talib with the Prophet Muhammad? 40 years or so. 40 years from that young age when Muhammad was only eight. From that young age looking after him, raising him with him. And then at the age of 40, he became a prophet and the revelation began. And he continued to remain with him and defend him and support him. For another eight years after that prophethood began, until then the death came to Abu Talib. So he used to defend him from the harm of the mushrikun, the Quraysh. وَيَصْبِرْ مَعَهُ عَلَى مُضَايَقَاتِ الْمُشْرِكِينَ And he would remain patient upon the hardships that the mushrikun were placing upon Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam and upon him as a consequence وَبَذَلَ مَعَهُ شَيْئًا كَثِيرًا And he exerted a lot of effort in defending and protecting and helping the messenger وَحَرَصَ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ عَلَى هِدَايَتِهِ And so the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam was keen and hoping for Abu Talib to enter into Islam and to be guided that perhaps he would enter into Islam and then Allah will save him from the hellfire. So min thalika annahu lamma hadaratuhu al-wafah jaa ilayhi wa hadha min hirsihi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ala al-da'wah ila Allah khususan ma'a aqaribih fafihi hirsuhu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ala al-da'wati ila Allah wa sadruhu ala thalika. So the messenger was keen on giving da'wah to his uncle Abu Talib and hoping that Abu Talib would enter into Islam. And he continued upon that enthusiasm to give da'wah to his uncle, hoping he would accept all the way to the last moment when Abu Talib was on his deathbed, the Prophet ﷺ still went to try. And this indicates how much effort the Prophet ﷺ placed into the guidance of people and into the guidance of his own uncle, especially here, Abu Talib. And that a person persists in giving that da'wah, and that a person remains patient in the path of giving that da'wah. And in particular, as you see here, from those who are your relatives, and those who are from your family, to continue and to persist and to be patient 
in giving da'wah to your family members, to your parents, to your uncles, aunts, brothers, sisters, to give them da'wah and to persist upon that, even if they do not accept from you initially, even if they rebuke you, to persist with patience and to continue trying as you are able with whatever you are able for as long as you are able. And Abu Talib with him, the Prophet ﷺ continued right up until Abu Talib was on his deathbed. So the Prophet went to him. وَعِنْدَهُ عَبْدُ اللَّهِ When the Prophet went to Abu Talib, where Abu Talib was lying on his bed, he found that two of the mushrikun were already there at the bedside of Abu Talib. Abdullah ibn Abi Umayyah and this individual later on ended up becoming Muslim. Manallahu alayhi bil Islam fa'aslama. Wa amma Abu Jahl, Amr ibn Hisham, qabbahahullah fahadha alad a'da'i al-Islam wa a'adham al-lazina a'adhaw Rasulullah صلى الله عليه وسلم wa sammahu Rasulullah صلى الله عليه وسلم fir'awna hadhi al-umma wa qutila yawma bada As for the other one, Abu Jahl then we know of course Abu Jahl is from the greatest of the enemies against Islam and he was from the greatest of those who harmed the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم and the messenger even termed him as the Fir'aun of this Ummah. And he died or was killed in the battle of Badr. He was the one himself who had brought the Kuffar, had led them to the battle of Badr against the Muslims. Abu Jahl, huwa alladhi qada al-mushrikeena ila Badr, wa huwa alladhi harradahum ala Rasulillah, so Abu Jahl, from the greatest of the enemies against Islam, against the messenger, he's the one who encouraged the mushrikun and brought them and the army of them to come and attack the messenger in the battle of Badr. And yet Allah aided the believers and Abu Jahl was from amongst the mushrikun who were killed on that day in the battle of Badr. So when the messenger went, he found that these two mushrikun are at the bedside of Abu Talib also. So regardless of them, the Prophet wasallam said to Abu Talib, Ya Am, O oh my uncle. And even that the scholars, they say, look at the gentleness of the Prophet wasallam. The gentle manner that he spoke to his uncle, hoping for the response from him. Oh, my uncle, Ya Am. Qul la ilaha illallah. Say la ilaha illallah. Say that there is no deity worthy of worship in truth except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Say that. Untuk bihadihil kalimah. Say this statement, believing in it in your heart. Say that. Then it can be 
a statement that I can then use in defense of you. It can be used as an evidence for you on Yawmul Qiyamah that you died upon La ilaha illallah kalimatan uhaju laka yani azkuruhu hujjatan laka indallah that I can mention that as an evidence for you in defense of you that you died upon Tawheed uhaju laka biha indallah ay ashadu laka biha indallah yawmul qiyamah that I will then be able to testify for you on Yawmul Qiyamah that you died upon Tawheed, you died upon La ilaha illallah min ajli najatika min al-nar so that you may be saved from the hellfire. So the Prophet ﷺ didn't just tell him, say La ilaha illallah. He gave him even more encouragement. Say La ilaha illallah and that will be something as a defense for you on the day of judgment to save you from the hellfire. He gives him that extra reasoning and extra explanation to give him further encouragement to say La ilaha illallah. And as Shaykh Al-Fawzan says, فَفِيهِ أَنَّ الدَّاعِيَةِ إِلَى اللَّهِ يُبَيِّنُ لِلنَّاسِ التَّرْغِيبِ يُرَغِّبُهُمْ فِي الْخَيْرِ وَيُبَيِّنُ لَهُمُ الْعَوَاقِبَ الْحَسَنَةِ إِنْ اسْتَجَابُوا وَيُحَذِّرْهُمْ مِنَ الْعَوَاقِبَ الْوَخِيمَةِ إِنْ لَمْ يَسْتَجِيبُوا فَالدَّاعِيَ يُبَشِّرْ وَيُنْذِرْ This indicates that a caller to Allah is to give that encouragement to the people when giving them da'wah. That you give them encouragement and remind them of the rewards from Allah. Encourage them to implement and practice the religion. You give that encouragement to them with goodness and the good consequences and outcomes for them if they practice the religion and implement it. Just as you also, on the other hand, explain to them the evil consequences if they do not implement and accept and practice the religion. So the da'i, the caller must balance in those affairs and give encouragement to people and give them the warning where required also. لَكِنْ جُلَسَاءَ السُّؤْ بِاللَّهِ تَسَبَّبُوا فِي شَقَاوَةِ هَذَا الرَّجُلِ But the shaykh says, after the messenger encouraged him to enter into Islam, the evil companions of Abu Talib who were there encouraged him to remain upon his misery, to remain upon, and they were the cause of him remaining upon misery. Because when they heard the messenger trying to tell him to become Muslim, they responded and said to him, meaning Abu Jahl and Abdullah ibn Umayyah, they said to Abu Talib, Are you basically turning your back against the religion of your father? Are you going to turn your back against the religion of your father? أَتَرَغَبُ عَمْ مِلَّةِ عَبْدِ الْمُطَّلِبِ Are you going to leave and turn your back on the religion of your father? That's what they began saying to him. وَهَذَا مِنْ إِثَارَةِ النَّخْوَةِ الْجَاهِلِيَّةِ And that was to stir up that... It's a bit like when we say the patriotic feeling. To stir up his patriotic feeling to his...
people and his tribe and his religion and his forefathers to stir up that emotional connection to his father and grandfather and Quraysh. They began to try and stir up that feeling and emotion of connection to his people so that he would not leave that way and go upon the way of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And this is something known in the Quran, how they had that connection and attachment to their forefathers upon misguidance. It says in the Quran when they say, Inna wajadna aba'ana ala ummah. They say, we found our forefathers upon this way. We found our forefathers upon this way. This was one of their justifications and their excuses to not leave their religion of shirk. They said, but this is what we've always been upon. This is what has come to us generation after generation. How can we leave the way of our forefathers and go on to this new way of yours? That was one of their explanations and justifications they would always give. And this is what the mushrikun used to use as an evidence when the prophets and messengers came to them. They would say, but we found our forefathers upon a particular way, and that is what we are going to follow. The same with Pharaoh. When Musa and Harun went to him to call him, to give him da'wah, he said, فَمَا بَالُ الْقُرُونِ الْأُولَى فَمَا بَالُ الْقُرُونِ الْأُولَى He said, okay, what about all of those past generations then? You're telling me about this Tawheed? Then what about all of our past generations who were upon shirk he was referencing? What about all of them? We're just going to turn our backs on them? This was the way of the mushrikun and this was the type of justification they used to try and give. So that's what they tried to do with Abu Talib. Saying to him, are you going to turn your back on your religion, the religion of your father, your grandfather, your people? You're going to turn your back on everything? So when the messenger heard them say that, he then repeated it. No, my uncle say, La ilaha illallah. So when he said that, they repeated it. They said to him again, but wait, are you going to leave the religion of your forefathers? So then in the end, after this to and fro,
So after this to and fro, where the Prophet ﷺ was encouraging his uncle to say, La ilaha illallah, and the two mushrikun kept uh, 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 trying to rebut that by saying to him, But no, are you going to leave the religion of your forefathers? And so after that to and fro, the narrator says, that the last thing the last thing that he said that Abu Talib said was that that he is going to remain upon the way of Abdul Muttalib meaning upon the way of the Mushrikun and he did not say la ilaha illallah and he did not enter into Islam. Notice here, when the narrator mentions, and the last thing that he said was that he is upon the religion of Abdul Muttalib. Normally, the scholars, they mention when you quote someone, normally it's uh, uh, recognized in speech, that you can quote and people do often quote and it is normally the way it's done in first person that you would say he said to me I'm going to the shop now he said to me you asking me where's Muhammad I say he said to me just now I'm going to the shop who's going to the shop me or Muhammad when you ask me where's Muhammad I say to you I just saw him he said to me, I'm going to the shop. Who's going to the shop? Muhammad. But I said, I'm going to the shop. I just said to you, I saw Muhammad. He said to me, I'm going to the shop. I'm going to the shop. Isn't that a first person personal pronoun? I'm going to the shop. But I'm actually talking about Muhammad. It's a well-known thing in language, Arabic as well. Exactly the same. You can be quoting someone in first person, I'm going to the shop. But I'm talking about him saying about himself that he's going to the shop. But I can say, I just saw him now. He said, I'm going to the shop. You all understand, he's going to the shop. But in this narration, why didn't the narrator do that? Why didn't the narrator of the hadith say, and the last thing he said was, I'm upon the religion of Abdul Muttalib. Because when Abu Talib said it on his deathbed, how would he have phrased it? He would have said, Ana, I am upon the way of Abdul Muttalib. So why didn't the narrator say the last thing he said was, I'm upon the religion of Abdul Muttalib. Why didn't he say, I'm, and he quoted it exactly as third person, he said he is upon the religion of Abdul Muttalib. The scholars have said, even though in the language that is normal, you can do that to use the first person. He didn't because even as a quote, he's quoting what Abu Talib said, even as a quote from Abu Talib, he didn't want to be the one uttering the words that I am upon shirk. He didn't want to be saying that. So he said, Abu Talib said, he is upon the way of Abdul Muttalib. Even though in linguistic terms, you could say, I'm. And everybody knows you are not talking about yourself, you're quoting him. But he didn't want to utter the words in the first person, 
pronoun to himself from the, the despicable or evil nature of those words to say that a person is remaining upon kufr. So Abu, uh, Abu Talib died upon kufr. And he refused to say la ilaha illallah. He died upon shirk. So then when that happened, Abu Talib died upon shirk. So when the messenger saw that his uncle has now died, this occurred there, his uncle then died. And the messenger from his compassion for his uncle, because his uncle 40 years in defense and support and aid of the messenger, the messenger from his compassion for his uncle, he says, that I will seek forgiveness for you as long as I am not prohibited from doing so. I will seek forgiveness for you as long as I am not prohibited from doing that. But then the ayah was revealed. That it is not for the Prophet or the believers to seek forgiveness for the mushrikun. So the ayah was revealed and he was prohibited from seeking forgiveness for Abu Talib because Abu Talib died as a mushrik. So because when the Prophet was seeking forgiveness for Abu Talib, the Muslims who saw that or became aware of that, then they would say, let's all go and seek forgiveness for our relatives who died upon shirk. So the ayah was revealed, prohibiting and preventing that. We'll stop on that point. The time for the prayer has arrived. The next chapter coming up is directly connected or there is a, a link directly between them. So we can finish this one off and then move on to that one next time, inshallah ta'ala. And also just to mention, next time is not going to be next week. Uh, there is going to be a little bit of disruption on the Saturday class. Next week it's definitely off and it's very likely the week after that as well. So keep up to date with the channels of the masjid to become aware with the advertisements as to when it's going to be on. Next week it's definitely off and I'm pretty sure the week after too. So a little bit of disruption but inshallah we'll get back to it.